tonight, understanding your relationship with money. What kind of investor are you? You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovec. Not every investor is the same, right? I mean, some are do-it-yourselfers. Some of you really want to leave money for your family. Others say, let me have that last check bounce, right? We all run the gamut. And Steve, I think it's interesting because I don't know that a lot of people take time to figure out where do I fall? Like, what is my relationship yeah. with money? Because once you figure that out, it helps you figure out, okay, here's my strengths. Here's my weaknesses. Here's the kind of help that maybe I need to get from where I am to where I want to be. Yeah. And, and from my perspective as the investment advisor, I I, I can't be all things to all people. And yeah. there are definitely, and I, I hate to label people. I don't like labels. But, you know, some people are do-it-yourselfers. Some people, you know, are not do-it-yourselfers. And, and they all want something a little different out of whoever they decide to hire uh, to help them with their fa- finances. I, I'll give you one. And I, I think this is me and my wife. Um, family-driven retirees. Um, family, traditional values. They drive everything that I want. I, I want my kids to have something that I never received, which was a little bit of money, uh, you know, as inheritance, an inheritance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my parents, they were happy that they didn't. I, actually, my dad really thought that I would inherit his visa bill. So that there would be a balance, which no, the inheritance inherit. would be a negative yeah, one. It would be negative, yeah. And he was proud when he paid that off, even though I told him, "No, you don't inherit your your father's debts. That's yeah. not the way it works." That doesn't but, get passed but, on. But the whole point is, you you want to support your your spouse, your children, grandchildren. You want to uh, help them grow and thrive with you know a few extra dollars. So I don't, you know, I you don't necessarily this type of person doesn't want to uh, bounce their last check to the funeral home, as the the proverb goes. Um, They really want to leave some sort of legacy, and they just need an advisor that's more or less a collaborator. Hey, help me do this. This is what I want. These are my goals. I'm not quite sure exactly how to do this, but but these are my my goals, my game plan, and and help me out. And and that's, that's a kind of a neat relationship to have with an advisor. Yeah, I think someone who's very legacy driven, right, will probably need a little more help with estate planning. And, you know, how can I do this? And and maybe it gets even more technical than that. Maybe you have, as we've seen many times in our offices, you know, some some kids or grandkids are better with money than others. And how do you set it up where you can protect them? Or if you're worried about maybe one of your children uh, getting a divorce in the future, there's there's all different kinds of things that can happen. And there's all different ways that your money and a trust can be set up in order to protect you. You. And, and if you're someone, I don't think it matters what age you are, if you're knocking on retirement store or if you're in your 20s or 30s, you kind of already know. Is family what drives me, yeah. right? In, in, in retirement, when you start thinking about what that looks like in the future, does it look like spending time with kids and grandkids, right? Yeah. If this is you and if this is kind of ringing true, then understand, okay, legacy is a big deal to you. That will probably be one of your main financial goals. You'll need to partner with someone who's really strong at that, who really gets that and can partner with you on that. Uh, and that's a great that's a great one. I, I'll give you one, and I bet you you know half a dozen people like this. I call them adventurous spenders. They just love life. They they love going out, <laughs> taking trips. You might be this kind of person, taking trips, spending money. Um, just life is for a living. And you know what? I, I might not have saved up as much as I wanted to save at this stage of my life. But man, did I have a lot of fun getting to this point. 
I think my husband wishes I was this kind of person. <laughs> I'm not. I'm a little more anal about my money. But I, I, yeah, I think we all know people like this who yeah. um, are, are really trying to figure they're, they're living it up now. They want to continue to live it up in retirement. Uh, they often make more and they often yeah. spend it as soon as it comes in. And, and they don't want to worry about the money. They really exactly. just kind of want to know, can I take that next trip? Can can we go to Mexico? Can we go to Europe? Can I travel in retirement? And so this kind of a person, and really, I'm sure you're picturing one in your mind right now. We all know them. They're yeah. super fun to be around. They're, they're living for the next adventure. Uh, they want to partner with someone who's going to say, um, this is kind of keep them on the rails. This is how much you need to be investing and saving in order to continue at this rate. Every once in a while, the conversation with your advisor could be a difficult one. Could be, hey, oh, yeah. there are trade-offs to living this way. You take this trip to Europe in the future, you might need to work an extra six months before you retire, right? But there, there is someone who's going to say, I, I get you. I know you like to go on these adventures. How do we keep you going on? Maybe do you need to tone it back a tiny little yeah. bit in order to be able to? But those are the kinds of conversations that particular kind of person is, is having with their advisor. The, the biggest issue I have as an advisor is, okay, how much do you spend? Uh, the, when the response is, I've never done a budget, and I sure as heck am not going to start now, you kind of know this is an adventurous spender because they don't <laughs> want a budget. They don't want anybody to tell them what they can and, more importantly, cannot do. They so need the a best... spending plan, right? Exactly, yeah. So um, my job becomes, okay, let me show you the consequences. I don't care what you do, but this is what happens right. and this is what your life is like. And if you continue on this path and maybe they decide to settle down, but maybe they don't. And at least, though, they kind of have a heads up, right, about if you keep making these decisions, here's how that's yeah. going to end up for you. And I always say when it comes to money, knowledge is power. Not knowing how your spending affects you, that's really the scary part. Someone putting it in front of you so you can make a decision, well, that's much more helpful. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC as we're asking you, hey, what kind of investor are you? Which of these rings true to you? Are you very legacy-driven, very family-driven? Are you adventure-driven? Do you live for that next trip, that next thing? I don't know. Are you a skydiver, a golfer, all the things? Um, very different ways that you would approach money. Here's another one, and this might ring true as well. Uh, proficient and prosperous. Yeah. Um, you know a lot about investing. You understand how markets work. You don't have to spend hours poring over your 401k investment choices because you understand them. You don't have to do research. Yeah. You already kind of know how these things work. This is kind of a, a very different kind of investor than the first two we talked about. My older son is like this, and he happens to be an engineer. So, <laughs> and, 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 you Makes know, that, a lot that's, of sense. It's, it's very true. He just loves to research, put, put it all on a spreadsheet. He understands a lot of what's going on. And is somewhat of a do-it-yourselfer. And and you know what? Not everybody needs to hire an advisor. No. You know, this is a type of person that, you know, okay, I, I've got this. Maybe I want to hire an advisor to run just a financial plan, to, to map this out over the next 30 years. Or maybe I just want someone looking over my shoulders, kind of the way I am with taxes. I'm capable of doing my own taxes, but I prefer somebody else doing my taxes for me. It, it's time that I'm not spending they might point out something that I wasn't aware of. And as an advisor, this is the value that you may bring to the table. This type of investor tends to just want to say, hey, let me run this by you. I, I'm pretty set 
with what I do? Is there anything I'm missing? And I love that question because, okay, maybe it's a Roth conversion. Maybe yeah. it's a Roth 401k as part of your contributions. Maybe there's a little value added you can add to the relationship, but you're, you're generally with this type of person, you're not going to be hands-on and tell them, I want you to do this, this, and this, because that's not what they're looking for. Yeah. You probably like to steer the conversations with your advisor. If you have an advisor, I would say what you need to be looking for is someone who, first of all, listens to you, right? Yeah. Gets you, gets your investment oh, yeah. philosophy, what you're trying to do goal-wise, but then says, have you considered a Roth conversion? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? Here's why this might make sense. Here's where we might be able to save you some money in taxes. They're literally bouncing things yeah. off of you. You can be really proficient in money, but we all know, unless it's something you're doing day in and day out, right, 40 hours a week, you probably don't have it all figured out. And so it, it can always be helpful to have someone to bounce some things off of, hey, have you tried this? Have you thought about this? I think that's the kind of person that probably falls into this category. Yeah. And, and this is the way I am with cars. I just dropped off a car yesterday oh and I know it's going to need some repairs. Okay. It's going to need some deferred maintenance taken care of. I, I just bought the car, used car a couple months ago. And, and you know, I, I caught myself talking to the guy at the desk about uh, letting him know I've restored cars. I've done this. I've done that. I understand. They're probably language. rolling their eyes at you like, oh, oh you know it. You you're one know. of those. Oh, know got, it all. Yo, we got one of them in here again. <laughs> Telling you know, us but, how to fix his car. But the, the value there is, okay, it's not a project I feel like taking on now. Am I willing mm -hmm. to pay the money for somebody else to do and take it off of my my desk to just you know take care of it and give me back a car and i i know his language and he knows i know enough about this stuff to be dangerous so that the real value is okay he's solving a problem for me and even though i could do the repairs um maybe i just don't feel like it yeah. and i think some investors are like that too here's another group of investor hardworking. Uh, yeah. This is, and, and listen, I mean, like, well, we're all hardworking. Of course you are, but you've worked really hard. You have disposable income, um, probably at least at some point in your life. And, and the key here though, is when you think about growing your money and protecting it, you go toward, you gravitate toward protecting your money. Yeah. You're, you're risk averse. You've worked so hard for what you've got that you want to make sure that more than getting more of it, that you're protecting what you have. Yeah, blue collar. This is the way I grew up. This is the way my parents were. And yeah, they worked hard. They saved what they could. They knew it wasn't as much as they, they wish they had. But you know what? I need to take care of it. I need this money to la last a lifetime. This is, this is where you really need a good relationship with an advisor and trust honesty, ethics are by far, that's everything in the relationship. Yeah. Returns. Yeah. Everybody wants to make money, but um, it's not really what you're looking for. You want somebody to help you not run out of money and be absolutely upfront, blunt, honest with you about you're in good shape or you're in bad shape, but here's how you can be in better shape. That's what they're looking for. You talk about a collaboration. I love these people. Um, Cincinnati is built on this type of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're very familiar with these kind of people yeah. at Allworth, right? We've got lots of them that we get to work with, and they're great. And I think sometimes the conversation with these people is more almost along the lines of the adventuresome kind in a very different way. The adventuresome, you're okay. saying, hey, if you keep spending at this level, this is what will happen. But sometimes what you need to have the conversation with, with these hardworking people who really want to protect their money is, but if you don't 
don't take on some measure of risk, yeah. you're, what you could be risking is going broke safely and slowly in the over the course of your retirement, right? Because you don't have enough coming in if it's all stashed away in your bank account or you're not taking any kind of risk on. So uh, all of these are just different ways that you might fall into, different categories that have to do with how you handle money and the kind of person maybe you should be looking at to partner with you in order to get you where you need to go. Here's our all worth advice. Understanding what kind of investor you are should empower you to get the kind of help you need with your money. Coming up next, times when it's better to save than invest and vice versa. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, brought to you by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovec. If you can't catch our show every night, you don't have to miss a thing. We've got a daily podcast for you. You can find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcast. Just search Simply Money. Straight ahead at 643, the steps to take when you inherit money, and we're specifically talking about a retirement account, like a 401k. These are people that we come across all the time. Here's the thing. Maybe you have a little extra money sitting in front of you, um, and extra money after you pay the bills. Or maybe it's something like an inheritance that's come your way. The question is, okay, what should I do with this money? Do I invest it? Do I save it? There's a several questions that need to come with that in order mm -hmm. to help you figure it out. There, there, there are. And, you know, if you're barely scraping by and you've got credit card debt and you've been dreaming about, you know, this, oh, I'd love to have this car or, you know, <laughs> what, uh, upgrade the house, or whatever, and you've got a decent windfall, that is a very dangerous thing. Yes. I mean, you, you, you've you been scrimping and saving and you seem to not be gaining any ground whatsoever and you have this bunch of cash dropped in front of you and, and your first inclination is, I've wanted that car for so, I, I, I'm i just going to buy it. I'm going to buy it and, you know, that that's what I'm going to do with this money. And the problem with that is you still have the debt, you still have the problem, and now you've got something, a car, that's going down in value. Yeah. So, you know, take your time on these decisions. If you get a windfall, you get an inheritance, you get a chunk of money, there's no hurry to make a good decision. I think the first thing you need to take a look at is, do you continually carry a credit card balance? Yeah. Paying off debt first and foremost. You know, I can't remember exactly what the statistic is, but it's with lottery winners, right? They get this yeah. huge sum of money all at one time, and usually they're broke within, I think it's like four or seven years. It, it, yeah. it happens not only to the lottery winners who are winning the mega millions jackpot, it's with an investment, with a bonus from work, Any kind, yeah. anytime you have extra money, rather than, to your point, Steve, going to that car or that vacation or whatever, step back and say, okay, 10 years from now, what will I be glad that I did with that money? And I think that helps you think a little more long-term about it. And, and to yeah. your point, first and foremost, it's getting out of debt, paying yeah. it off and That's determining that you're going to stay there, right? Just breaking that yeah. cycle. That's yeah. the first thing. I, no question. That's a killer. Uh, take care of what got you in that, that problem in the first place. But I, I'll tell you that the most important question, once you take care of, okay, now I'm not, I, I've got all the credit cards paid off, is, all right, I still have some money left over. Um, what's the time horizon on this money? That sounds like a fancy, you know, investment advisor um, phrase, but it's really, you're asking yourself, what's the purpose? What, what do I want to do with this money? Is this money I want to put away for retirement? 
Do Am I renting? Do I want to buy a house and I need the down payment? Very important question because if the answer is I'm most likely going to need this money within two, maybe even three years, but certainly within two years, don't even think of investing it because yeah. the last thing in the world you want to do is, okay, well, let's, I did everything right. I put it in diversified portfolio and, and you did it, let's just say in, in the fall of 2007 and within six months, it, it, markets nosedive, your, let's just say $20,000 is worth $8,000. Oh, uh, the best house in, I, I could have imagined came on the market. Let me have my 20 grand back. It's only eight. You, you don't want to have that discussion right. with your advisor. You don't want to be in that situation. But you know what? If you if you invested it for two to three years, you're going to see a bounce back, most likely to get back at least to where your money was when you started if your time horizon was at least two or three years. If it's less than that, throw it in the bank, get whatever interest you can get, period. Yeah, and, and when you're throwing it in the bank, what bank are you putting it in, right? Ooh, if you need yeah. that money soon, yeah. and I, I think I'm thinking of a friend who uh, has to pay for a wedding in a couple of years, and you know, he was like, do I take the money out? Do I leave it again? I think the markets you know, can go this way. I think they're gonna go up or whatever. And I was like, take it out. You just don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. But also, you know, online banks right now, and most of them are FDIC insured. I was just looking, they've got some CDs, the money market accounts that are making north of 4% in interest. Yeah. And, it's a it's a great time to shop around and see. So I would say, hey, if you need that money anytime soon, that's where you need to go do the research, put it in an account that's actually going to make you some interest. I also want to throw something else out, though, Steve. Yeah. Do you have a solid and healthy emergency fund? Oh, yeah. 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 Because that's nowhere the near as sexy. Yeah. Nowhere near yeah. as sexy as the new car or the trip. But I'm telling you what, when you need it, it's not if you need it, it's when you need it, yeah. you will be so glad that you have this money. It takes so much stress out of your life. Then you're not looking at, okay, I have to pay for this medical bill or this car that broke down or this HVAC yeah. unit or whatever it is, because it's coming. Uh, am I going to pull money out of my 401k? Am I going to put it on a, a credit card? Most Americans in, in research, study after study has shows us, does not have $400 set aside that if an emergency came yeah. up, they could pay for that, right? Make sure, that's why I think this emergency fund is the most critical piece of a financial plan. Yeah, if you don't have an emergency fund and you just got yourself out of a debt issue, you're going to get right back into the debt yeah. issue. You're going to get right back in and racking up credit card debt and maxing out a card or two. Yeah, you know, you've got, and, and yeah, maybe the target is three to six months of spending. Um, but you know what? Even a couple of thousand bucks is a pretty darn good emergency fund because when something does come up, you can hit the emergency fund and not the credit card and not get back into that same boat that you were in. Um, I'll give you another one. Let's just say um, you do have a time horizon more than three years. Are you putting enough in your 401k to get free money? I, yes. I mean, that's what a company, company matches. match. Sure. Company matches free money. So if you're only putting in, uh, you know, 1% or 2% and your company matches on the first 3%, yeah, get as much free money and do that 3% in your 401k if it's money you can invest for at least a couple of years. And, and a retirement account, by definition, yeah, that's money for the long haul. So if this is you, right, you've gotten a lump sum recently or you're expecting one, think through debt, emergency fund. Do I have a purpose for that money? And if I do, am I going to need it in the next couple of years or is it long term? Based on those answers, that should tell you, do you save it? Do you invest it? Where you put it? Here's the all worth advice. Is it better to save or invest? Well, the answer is yes, both. 
both play a key role on your road to financial freedom. Coming up next, how to help your killed kids build credit from scratch. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money brought to you by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. I remember when I first started college, the first few days, there were tents everywhere on the way to every class offering me a free credit card and a free t-shirt and hats and frisbees and all the things. All you had to do was sign up. And I remember lines around those tents. Times have changed since then. There are laws, right, protecting credit card companies from targeting teenagers. Um, but it, it leads to a new problem, which is how do you build credit when credit cards aren't readily accessible to you? Joining us tonight, of course, our credit expert, Britt Scares. Britt, where do teenagers get started? They, they need credit, but how do they build it? Yeah, it's kind of a chicken or egg kind of thing. You yes. know, how do I get credit if no one will give me any credit? So uh, the, there are um, a few different tactics you can take um, that, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about trying to get, you know, applying for a bunch of loans and getting turned down and, and that sort of thing. Um, there are ways that are guaranteed to start and establish a, uh, a credit history. So one of the first ways is to approach your bank or credit union about a secured credit card. A secured credit card is one that doesn't require any you know, existing credit or anything like that. They're pretty much guaranteed issued as long as you don't have any fraud in your check systems, um, So which normally kids would not, right? So um, you can put a little bit of money on deposit with the bank or credit union, and they'll hold that as security, um, and then they'll give you a credit card to use uh, with that, you know, once there as collateral. And then you utilize the credit card responsibly. Uh, usually after about 12 months of using it responsibly, they'll make it an unsecured card, and that puts an instant guaranteed trade line on your credit report. So you know, there you go. You have finally established a trade line that so, kind of starts everything. So is that different from a debit card? Well, it is because a debit card is tied to your checking account, mm -hmm. and that is in no way, uh, you know, tied to, to a credit line. Okay, so debit cards, they, they don't improve your credit. They have nothing to do with credit reporting. So that's a secured credit card. How about um, signing on as uh, uh, on your parents? Uh, when my kids were in college, I gave them each a, a credit card that was in my name. Does that do anything to build up their credit history? Well, that's a great idea, Steve, because that's actually what I did with both of my sons. Mm -hmm. um, I added them as an authorized user on one of my okay. Uh, credit cards, a MasterCard account that I've had open since probably 2006, and you basically call your 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 card issuer and, and say, "Hey, I want to add my, uh, you know, one of my one of my children to to this card as an authorized user." You have to give them their information and so forth, and they will issue a card uh, with their name on it. Now, that will <laughs> instantly put all of the history from your account that you've had open for all those years onto their credit report. It'll create a credit trade line on their credit report and put all of that history, the account balance, the account limit and so forth onto their credit report. And that pretty much instantly gave both of my sons uh, a 750 plus credit score uh, because that's a card that I don't use a whole lot. It has a good limit on it and that's exactly what the FICO score loves. 
Britt, I want to, though, talk about, too, and I think this is a great way where parents can help kids. Obviously, if you don't have a great credit score yourself, it's not going to help your oh, kids do at that. all. Yeah. yeah, don't do that. But assuming you have, yeah, assuming you have solid credit, it, it, your kids can kind of uh, trail off of you. What's the conversation you suggest that parents have with kids? Because I think I mentioned this to you before, but I remember the friend that I had in college always the best dressed at every game at every event and i was always like how does she do this well i went to her dorm room one night and she was bawling crying because she had gotten herself into nine thousand dollars worth of credit card debt yes and so and then she was going to have to go to her parents so what's the conversation that you have if it's on your account what do you suggest you say to the kids and how do you protect yourself right Exactly. So here's the thing with the secured, uh, I'm sorry, with the uh, authorized user account, you can, in many cases, set limits, spending limits on those cards so that which would be key, probably. Yeah, that is probably that is key. But here's the other thing. Um, If you're doing this with a you know, teenager, you could do this as early as, you know, when your child is 16 years old, if you wanted to do that. And you don't have to give them the card. Uh, <laughs> ah, you don't have to uh-huh. give them the card so that they can go run it up like that um, or only give it to them, uh, you know, when they're, you know, OK, you're going on a trip and I want to make sure that you're going to be able to get home if there's a problem or something of that nature. You, you, or if you have a flat tire, you know, you could just give it to them at those uh, certain times. But, you know, if you're giving it to them when they're going off to college, you know, I would recommend putting some sort of a limit on there saying, hey, this card is only uh, able to be utilized up to, you know, $1,000 or 2000 or something like that. Well, okay. So if they're on you as the parent, if they're on your account as an authorized user, would I as the parent actually see what they're buying, what they're using the card for in my statement? Yes, sir, you will, because you are the one that's actually (laughs) responsible for that debt. So you are the this this card is, you know, it's kind of an extension of you. So you're allowing someone to use it legally and everything that gets charged on that card will show up on your statement. And you are the one that's responsible for the monthly payment on it. So I'm thinking maybe not let the kids know that I can see what they're buying until until I've got something on them. Yeah. Hey, what are you are doing, are you doing that shop? Yeah. Come on Exactly. Now. Yeah, you're getting the alerts. You're setting limits. Yeah. So you're putting some kind of guardrails on your kids as they're learning. And I also am a huge fan of this, but open and honest conversations about yeah. being responsible with credit. I, I, My dad, Gary Wagner, I got to tell you, one of the best things he ever did was impressed upon me. You never want to get into credit card debt. I, he gave me a credit card when I went away to college with a $30 a month spending limit. <laughs> it was like, aged yourself. He was like, buy yourself, a, literally buy yourself a tank of gas a month. And you know, this, this will help you build things up. But to this day, right, 46 years old, I've never carried a balance on a credit card. Not to say that there weren't times when it was really tough not to do that. But that was impressed upon me at an early age. So I also think as you're trying to help your kids build credit, you got to have conversations with them about ways to be safe and smart about it. Exactly. You know, for me, I utilize that authorized uh, user uh, tactic to establish, you know, a credit, you know, a credit trade line on my boys' uh, credit reports. But then they went and we went to the credit union and excuse me, and we um, and we actually uh, had them apply for their own thousand dollar limit unsecured credit card. 
ah. because they had actually had a credit bureau now and a decent credit score, they actually qualified you know, for their own uh, credit card. And so which the small $1,000 limit, so that is in their own name that they are managing that's building their long-term credit that way. So, um, you know, u- utilizing some of these tactics like like a secure credit card or like a an authorized user account, it's just to establish the initial credit. Because here's the thing about the credit bureaus. One, they're so friendly and they're so nice that <laughs> yeah. once you establish a credit report, once you actually have enough data on a credit report to where they can generate a FICO score for you and everything, they will sell your name to all kinds of other uh, lending institutions that want to mm-hmm. also sell you more credit. So you yeah. will start to obtain offers in the mail that say, hey, you're pre-qualified for this and that, <laughs> up to $3,000 or you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So. Um, you know, that that will start. And once you have something established, uh, that's all you really need to do as far as, you know, from there on, you, you're going to find people wanting to lend you money everywhere you turn. Great advice, as always, from Brit Scares, our credit expert. If you have a teenager, a 16, 17, 18-year-old, how to help them build credit, good credit, and also the conversations you have to have with them. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Straight ahead, I am the biggest fangirl ever of Warren Buffett. Uh, yes, and we've are. got some lessons from the world's, I would say, most famous and also best investor. Uh, you want to stay tuned for those. There's a lot you can pull from those. You know, we get a lot of questions from people. Um, obviously, we do the Ask the Advisor segment every week. We got a question recently, though, that's one that echoes a lot of them that we get. So we thought, hey, maybe we'll spend a little more time on this one. The question came from Bonnie, and she wrote this. I recently inherited a 401k with over half a million dollars in it. The money's just sitting there. I keep feeling like I'm going to make a life-changing mistake. Can you help me, right? What do I do with this? The problem about this question, first and foremost, Steve, though, is we don't know who she inherited it from because the rules are different depending on where that money came from. Yeah, and obviously, and and condolences uh, to to Bonnie for whoever it was that that passed away. But um, it's obviously a windfall, and it's a lot of money. I mean, half a million bucks is a lot of money to pretty much everybody out there, but she's frozen. You know, she's not sure what to do with with this money. Which is better than the opposite, because we often see people that don't take just a minute. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we always say there's never a rush to make a good decision. So right. thanks, Bonnie, for taking your time on this. And since we don't know who what the relationship was with the person who passed, let's assume it was a spouse, okay, okay? because that, that's there. pretty common, uh, okay? And, you know, on a 401k, when a spouse passes away, first of all, there's going to be a beneficiary on the account. And, by the way, good reminder – on a regular basis, confirm your beneficiaries on your 401ks and IRAs because I don't care what you did in your will. If you said, you know what, I'm divorced now, so I'm going to change it to my my new wife or just put the kids on uh, the uh, the um, on the will. Uh, if you didn't change the beneficiary on your 401k, that's who gets the money. The beneficiary. 
Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it supersedes the will. So you might think I took care of this. No, you didn't. And that X would get that money in the 401k. So if this is a spouse, it, it makes it fairly simple. Okay, you've got this money and, and it's now your 401k. If your spouse had already started taking distributions, you're going to be taking distributions. Keep in mind that the government just wants to tax this money. Um, that's the whole game plan is, okay, tax deferred until it's not tax deferred, and then we want you to take out at least a minimum amount. So if your spouse before passing had been drawing distributions, you're most likely going to have to start drawing distributions and be taxed on it. Don't worry about that 10% penalty, though, if you're not old enough because that's waived on, on a beneficiary, but you never get away from paying tax on it. Which is a great point because you can continue to take those distributions, as you just mentioned, or her other option, if it's coming from a spouse, would be a lump sum distribution. Now, keep in mind. Government wants that. Half a million dollars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm going to assume here, Bonnie, that it might bump you into a slightly higher you tax think? bracket. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you would be paying a pretty penny of that money. You'd be losing a pretty penny of that money in taxes that you wouldn't if you pulled it out a little bit over time. So probably not your best option there. What about if it's coming from a grandfather, an aunt yeah. that you were really yeah. close to, something like that? Well, then then the rules change a little bit. They, they do. And, and I'm thinking of, of uh, a situation I, I've seen in my professional life. Aunt, we'll just call her Aunt Rose. Uh, okay. Aunt Rose yeah. had accumulated quite a bit of money over her lifetime. And um, nieces and nephews, um, her husband had passed, and, and nieces and nephews are around. She didn't have kids of her own. And they all split the money when Aunt Rose passed. This is a neat gift. I yeah. mean, it really is because it reminds the kids every year because, yeah, they do have to start taking required minimum distributions and be taxed on it. But every time they do a distribution, they're thinking of their aunt. And what would my aunt have wanted me to do with this money? I, I see it paying for grandkids' educations and, and things like that. It, it's really neat. But there's a lot of confusion over a non-spousal inheritance because there was something called the SECURE Act 2.0 that was passed literally right around Christmas time of 2021. So nobody paid attention to what was sure. in it. And there wasn't, it wasn't a huge piece of legislation, but there were a bunch of little rules that were put in that legislation, like uh, required minimum distribution age being bumped up to age 73, which a lot of people don't know uh, if you're not already uh, old enough to draw a minimum distribution. One of the other things, though, uh, is that, uh, yes, you do have to start taking a required minimum distribution from a non-spousal 401k or IRA. Um, you're not, you don't have to pay the 10% penalty, but you do have to take them. And by the way, you have to have that account emptied out after the end of the 10th year. So within 10 years, you've got to empty that account out. These are complex rules, and this is why you've got to sit down with an accountant and make sure you're not unintentionally screwing up. But yeah, you're going to have to start taking some money out. Here's the all worth advice. Inherited money can be a complicated situation. Get the conversation going with someone you trust. We would suggest a qualified financial advisor, a fiduciary that's putting your best interests ahead of their own. Coming up next, lessons from my favorite, Warren Buffett, that anyone can use. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. <laughs> You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. He is a wealth of knowledge and one that I would say we can all learn something from Warren Buffett. I 
You are such a fan. Girl. I really, really am. You are. I, you know, I mean, I'm sure you ask most women my age, they'll throw out like Brad Pitt or something like that. And I'm like, I really love Warren Buffett. I'd love to sit down and have lunch with this guy sometime. Although I think what was the last time that people like bid on it? It went for like millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. so I probably yeah. can't afford that. So we'll just read his book and take some quotes from it, right? And share them with you. One of the really cool things I think about Warren Buffett is, first of all, he didn't come from money. This was not no. born with a silver spoon in his mouth. His, la his last name was never very Vanderbilt, right? He just knew. I mean, and he says he knew from an early age that he was going to be rich. It, it is a mindset. And when you think about it, if from an early age, you're I'm not saying number one goal, but you're mm -hmm. a big goal in your life is that you are going to be what you consider rich. You make decisions very differently when it comes to money. You start looking yeah. at, do I want this thing or do I need it? If I don't need it, then I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to save. I'm going to invest. I think it changes everything about how your relationship with money. You set expectations for yourself. Yes. Right? I mean, you set the bar high and, and, and you have a goal. And if what you're doing or what you're spending money on doesn't get you closer to that goal, you don't do it. I mean, this, he must have been so mature as a kid, you know, to be able to do this. I mean, his first deal, him and a buddy, they got together and, and they pulled their money and they bought a pinball machine and they put it in a barber shop, started making a little bit of money. What did they do? They didn't go out and buy anything with, with that money that they were making other than more pinball machines. And, and eventually, you know, the two of them split 1200 bucks, which at Warren Buffett's age, that probably would be close to enough to buy a car back yeah. back in that day, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's called reinvesting. If you're making money, have your money make money for you. First of all, I have a 13-year-old. He's been on the show talks, talking about money. If he pulled his money to buy a pinball machine, he wouldn't put it somewhere else. He would want it in his bedroom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, the fact that Warren Buffett was like, I'm going to buy yeah. something that I would probably actually really like for myself, and I'm going to put it somewhere where it can make money for me so I can buy more. I mean, that is just a completely different mindset. Not only that, though. I mean, he, he, he actually said, like, I always knew I was going to be rich. I don't think I ever doubted it for a minute. So he knew he yeah. was going to be rich. But then when he got there, there's something called lifestyle creep, right? Mm -hmm. it, it never crept into his life. He He's lives a cheapskate. He lives a very <laughs> modest lifestyle. He literally eats at McDonald's. He drives yeah. the same old Buick, the same house that he bought. It was like the 1970s. Yeah. He doesn't have six or eight houses. He says, in fact, that would stress me out. I wouldn't be any happier with having all of these possessions than I am right now with what I have. He's being himself. He knows who he is. And that, that's important. And finally, he's a contrarian. When everybody's excited about how great investments are, he's selling. Whenever yeah. Everybody is disgusted. They want to get out of the market. He's buying. Be so fearful important. when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Smart man. Thanks for listening tonight. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial here on 55KRC, the talk station.